Alright. <clears throat> test, test, test. Yeah, okay. Looks good. God, this is so much better than, like, laying on one arm in a bed <laughs> holding that microphone. Dangerous Bedchamber in New York City. I'm your host, Shane. And I'm your host, Ishan. And welcome to episode 232 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about how to make dreams and dreaming matter in your game. But first, the party breaks through the line in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, the Night Watch is ever vigilant while everyone else rests in the Character Creation Forge. Why do we have to do this in my bedchamber? Uh, we didn't say it was yours. Maybe you just own the title. Okay. <laughs> Other people sleep here. All right. Or I don't know, don't sleep here. Lots of things you can do in a bedchamber. You should tell me about capers. <laughs> this week, Total Party Thrill is brought to you by Capers, a super-powered game of gangsters in the Roaring Twenties from, hey, Craig Campbell. So you play criminals or cops during the Prohibition era. Uh, also, you have superpowers. Mm-hmm. Also, so does everyone else. Yeah, so you have the choice. Will you build a criminal empire or work to bring down bootleggers? Uh, is, is that a choice? I mean... <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> we're, we're building a criminal empire, right? Obviously. <laughs> Unless you're bringing down bootleggers in order to take over their operation. Oh, I don't hate that idea. Mm-hmm. I also like the idea. If you remember, I don't know, maybe you're too young young for this. There's this one like line in The Rocketeer, which is, you know... a silly but also fun like disney movie from back in the day where like gangsters like have been the bad guys the entire time but then you find out the real bad guys are nazis and like the al capone guys like i mean i may be a criminal but i'm an american and then he like shoots the nazis Mm -hmm. right because of course yep (laughs) all right so capers is now available in a deluxe hardcore edition no that's hardcover edition that's what i meant it's (laughs) I would love to see a hardcore edition of uh, of Capers. Uh, if you die, you're dead for real. Oh, I was, I was thinking NC-17, but okay. sure, yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's a lot. Capers is now available in a deluxe hardcover edition. It is 164 pages, 8.5 by 11. It's got Smithstone binding, so it's sturdy and lays flat on the table. It is glossy with a full-color interior with richer printing press colors, and the end pages and inside covers are printed with useful tables, game info, and lore. It comes with two ribbon bookmarks, and there are more upgrades with stretch goals on Kickstarter. So, uh, a little bit more about Capers. It is This is the all-in-one core book with all of the player and GM info included. It uh, includes the setting, character creation, the complete rules for playing, uh, 40 superpowers and other character options, as well as GM guidelines and all the backdrop information you need to play in over a dozen U.S. cities during the era. You've got info on gangs and law enforcement, a full cast of NPCs, and a GM toolbox with alternate and expanded rules. So on Kickstarter, there are backer tiers for getting the deluxe hardcover with all the support PDFs, or you can get just the hardcover or just the PDFs. And there's also the Capers enamel pin available as an add-on. So if that all sounds interesting, check out the link in the show notes. Or head over to Kickstarter and search for Capers. All right, Ishan, so where are we in the Gates of Morning campaign? So the Gates of Morning campaign is our 5th edition D&D game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And, on the day of morning, along a barren stretch of a Carnathy battlefield, the party is fighting for their lives. Yeah, so we, uh, we dashed across a no-man's land amidst a hail of arrows and reached an arcane ballista that we, uh, we managed to... Uh, turn over it was it was on its side we managed to bear strength and and like kind of push it back upright uh decimus the artificer fixes all the insides of the weapon uh while sergeant bach kind of directs him what to do uh and then lenore climbs on top to aim it so she's taking heavy fire while she is exposed uh of course she's a a rogue so she's able to dodge some of these um, hop out of the way um, all the meantime sort of manipulating the controls and she slowly turns it to point toward the south toward uh, this giant horde of undead that is blocking their only escape route and she switches it to auto fire and when she does this bolts like crossbow bolts that are three feet long uh, suddenly load into the chamber uh, <laughs> then they ignite burst into flame and launch 
and then um, about a hundred yards to the south, they explode in giant fireballs. Uh, which, of course, creates an opening <laughs> as bolt after bolt after bolt rains down on the undead. And thus, the group heads to that opening, uh, meeting the refugees and trying to escape through the enemy line while they have a chance. So now the entire group uh, consists of the party members, uh, a bunch of refugees, and the squad of Undarian soldiers who uh, make it past the undead line and trek several miles toward the south where uh, Colonel Darian Ephraim has uh, said that he knows of a safe place. And away from the battlefield in relative safety, suddenly they trigger an arcane glyph, um, which basically explodes in there almost like a, a silent firework and takes the form of a griffin, which Lenore and Decimuths, who are uh, both dragon-marked, know is the uh, house crest of House Jurasco, the dragon-marked halfling House of Healing, and marks this entire area as belonging to them, and therefore neutral territory in the war. So, at the entrance to the small compound, they are confronted by Wilmo, an elderly halfling with a large dragon mark peeking up from her collar. And she leads the enclave, and refuses them entry, because the houses must remain neutral in the war, uh, you know, even to routed soldiers. Yeah, maybe especially to routed soldiers, right? Uh, even soldiers <laughs> escorting refugees, as it turns out. Yeah, we don't know you're actually refugees. Also, you know, this is the House of Healing. We're not like, oh, give me your tired and your poor. We're, hey, pay up, and maybe we'll heal you. Right. Uh, but the colonel, Darian Ephraim, uh, walks up to her and whispers something in her ear that no one else is able to hear. And after she considers that for a moment, she offers to take in just the Undarian soldiers, but no one else. Uh, then the hooded figure that's traveling with the group throws back his hood to reveal glowing eyes. And Vesicad the Kalistar stares intently at Wilmo. She looks confused for a moment and then allows all of them entry. And turning to the others, Vesicad simply says, it's easier to change a mind from the inside. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week, we are talking about dreams and using dreams and having dreams and making them actually matter in your game. They're a super common trope in fiction and especially mythology. You get a lot of stories about, you know, people having dreams that uh, really mean something or, or tell them something. But it's a lot harder to pull off in a satisfying way in an RPG, right? Because, you know, dreams are kind of easy to erase or a character can forget them or, or you just ignore them, right? It, it wasn't real. It didn't really happen. It, it doesn't actually matter. But, but that's really the key here is no matter how a dream gets used in your game, you need to make it actually matter. Even if nothing the characters is seeing or feeling in this dream is actually real, uh, the, you need to make the consequences of the dream real. Okay, so let's talk about some of the uses of dreams then. Right, because you could just like say, well, then I just won't have dreams in my game, right? That yeah, seems like a pain. Exactly. So what do I get out of using dreams? Well... You see these a lot in stories, but dreams are often used as a way to send messages. Uh, it's a nice way to introduce a person who isn't around or to communicate um, with an NPC or for them to contact a party member, no matter where that person is located or the circumstances that they're in and vice versa, right? So you can be in a situation where the party is in jail and, well, prisoners don't usually get mail delivered to them. So it's hard to have like an actual physical uh, message sent to you. Is that but, true? Uh, I guess it's I don't know. True in, in like a, in, in a medieval prison, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in the type <laughs> of setting where dreams are important, that's probably true. Right. <laughs> in the Bastille. <laughs> right. <laughs> there wasn't Mail Day. The the Tower of London. Right. <laughs> the man in the. This is just addressed to man in the iron mask. Do we have a we have a man in an iron mask here. Yeah, like Anyone? 16 people raise their hand. Right. <laughs> well, you can fight over it. Uh, or, you know, it, of course, it could be a way for the party to contact someone else who was in that circumstance or, you know, unconscious in a magical slumber. Actually, that's kind of the ideal way to, to contact Sleeping Beauty is, is <laughs> dream to her, right? Right. Uh, or you could even have a situation where someone is dead or on another plane or, or just like basically completely uh, out of contact and yet, somehow, through, like, this weird magic of dreams, you can still contact them. Yeah, I think what's important is, like, 
this is mostly a plot device, right? Like you don't need to worry as much about the mechanics of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like when you have those types of protections or those types of obstacles, like in your way, like dreams are sort of the plot device way of getting around them. Totally. Cause you know, they can bypass all of these protections or obstacles. Um, no matter how secure your party's inner sanctum is, the BBEG can send a message through a dream. Right. Never give that ability to your PCs. Obviously, we will just harass the BBEG <laughs> until they quit. That's why the dream spell sucks. <laughs> uh, so what might they be sending in this message? Uh, I think one of the most common ones is a cry for help. You know, someone who is in a desperate, dire circumstance, the only way they can actually communicate to anybody is through a dream. And so that's how they do. Hey, come, please help me. Maybe you don't even know who I am. Certainly, you probably don't know where I am, but here's a cryptic phrase and that'll give you an idea and come on, help, please. Yep. The other one that's very common is a warning, right? Like you, somebody who knows something far away reaches out to warn you not to do something you were planning or to do something differently, whatever it is. Watch then, out for this. And then all of these can end up in a quest, right? You can have your quest giver present it through uh, the method of a dream. And maybe that is complete save me. Or maybe it's that, maybe it's look out, the vizier is actually a rakshasa. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's my quest? Well, it's go kill the rakshasa, duh. And then dreams can also be a method for exerting undue influence. So maybe, yes, uh, the BBEG, the like evildoers out there are you know uh sending a a dream in the guise of someone that the the king trusts and are trying to convince him to do something else Uh, or this is basically like inception right Mm -hmm. then the other thing you could do with your dreams is uh make them prophetic right so there might not be another person involved it might just be a vision of the future that happens during the sleep or you know something like the fates are reaching out to you or a deity yeah this can be really nice if you have a character whose like thing is prophecy we talked about this uh quite a bit in the episode on prophecies um but even if nobody is like anyone in the party or even the entire party can have some sort of like prophetic vision while they happen to be sleeping and and the the real mystery here is is this a future that definitely will happen or is it one that might just happen and it can still be prevented uh, think about like um, a christmas carol right when jacob marley shows up he, he shows scrooge the um a vision of christmas future and that scrooge's big question is like is this definitely going to happen or can i prevent this and of course the answer is like you can prevent it therefore go out and do the thing to prevent it right right um and that of course is going to be easier in the game because you can like always uh you can always let the players like go fix it for themselves right um it's it's way easier to leave something open um versus kind of locking in a a specific future yeah gms here this is what's going to happen in the future uh great crap now i need to make sure this definitely happens in the future right now you've, you've set yourself up for like a game of cat and mouse with your players of how they can undermine your your ability to railroad them (laughs) right oh wait this is definitely happening okay i stab the orphan does that work does that happen (laughs) (laughs) um i think if you are going to um if you're going to do something that definitely happens right like the locked in true future then you want to leave the interpretation of that future um a little more open um for the players so you might show like a very narrow point of view right you might show like maybe a person dying or maybe the way that somebody dies but you don't necessarily show how or what happened in the lead up to that or where they are or something like that right and you don't show context necessarily exactly so you see the white house and it's been you know blown up and all you see is like um you know a few pillars and like a a tattered american flag okay that seems like terrible right but when that actually does come to pass it just might be that in the game yeah the white house is going to get blown up doesn't mean necessarily that anyone was important was inside or like that was the the good outcome versus like you know all of dc getting nuked right so just like a message a prophecy can be a warning or send the party on a quest right like typically they want you want them to be responding to this in some way uh, and changing their behavior as a result of this prophecy Uh, Yeah, I think probably the oldest one of these that I know of is uh, Joseph in the Bible who gets his prophetic dreams about seven years of 
uh, feast and then seven years of famine, uh, which basically sets him up to be like a prophetic advisor to the king. Mm-hmm. Because he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to have seven good years, but then seven very bad years, and we should probably store some grain. Right. Which his quest basically becomes save Egypt. Well, don't spoil the ending. Oh, sorry. Whoops. Uh, Egypt does not get saved. (laughs) Not that Egypt, right? (laughs) It's totally different Egypt now. Okay, so what's the payoff of a prophecy? Yeah, I think that's that's the main question that you need to be asking yourself, both as a player and as a GM. Like, if you are giving a, a character a prophetic dream, what does this actually do for them other than maybe a, a little bit of motivation? And, and if you're a player, ask yourself, like, what am I supposed to learn from this or get out of this? Like, how, do this, how does this help me more than just sort of, like, notifying me? Um and also remember that, like, if there if there isn't a real payoff, if it turns out that the character is being lied to, or the prophecy isn't going to come true, or the the warning isn't one that they needed to heed, then the next time that it comes up, they're just going to ignore it. Right. Uh, you basically get like sort of one chance with that. I mean, you don't have to tell the whole truth with a dream or a prophecy, but there there needs to have been some nugget or kernel of truth in it in order for this to be valuable in the future or a technique that you can still continue to use. Right. So dreams can also be a form of exposition. Uh, It's a good way to tell part of the story that the players or the party wouldn't otherwise have access to in a place maybe they can't see or hear from. Yeah, it's like scrying, but in a way that people understand or that makes sense within the context of almost any game. Like you can just have a dream and it turns out that that was actually true and maybe you were witnessing it as it was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could also be something that happened a very, very long time ago. Um, or it could be something that's you know happening very far away. It's, and it, can, it doesn't have to necessarily be clear which of those it is. Is this something that has already occurred? Is this something we witnessed happening or you know you sort of little crossover with prophecy is this something that might might happen tomorrow right you might be able to figure this out from context clues and that's actually kind of a fun mystery is sort of having characters examine the dream to figure out where this is or when this is like well that person's in it um they're dead so (laughs) i think this already happened i mean i knew i got that fashion degree for my character for some reason now I definitely know that, that that's from 1968. Right. <laughs> they were definitely not invented uh, before then. Right. Um, this is also a good way to provide a POV shift, right? So you can you can be anybody in a dream. You can see through anybody's eyes. Um, so you can like kind of experience and relive events from either a different character's perspective or for the first time firsthand through somebody else's eyes. Yeah, so... I think lots of times you get a bunch of exposition in a campaign where you want to tell like the story of something that happened long ago. And of course that informs what we're doing now, or, you know, 10,000 years ago, this same thing happened in a group of heroes came together and you were probably some sort of reincarnation of them, right? Rather than telling that story or like handing out a scroll with that story written on it that maybe no one will read. You can actually just like have a dream sequence where, the party members are like back in whatever their old bodies or the bodies of these old heroes. And you just play out the battle where they defeat this legendary monster. Yeah. Uh, that's always, <laughs> that's always good. Don't hand out a, uh, a scroll of, or like pages of exposition, hand out pages of character sheets. Yeah. Here's, here's what you do. And you know, it's probably maybe a little similar to your current build or maybe not just, Hey, we're kind of doing a mini one shot right in the middle of this campaign. Here's your pre-gen, uh, you're the dwarf fighter, you know, you're the the cleric, you're the druid, and, um, you know, here's the sphinx that you defeated uh, 8,000 years ago. Let's find out how that all played out, because none of it's canon anyway, right? Uh-huh. I mean, it will become canon as everyone plays it out, but the story isn't canon because it happened 8,000 years ago, and no one's exactly sure what actually happened. Right. Yeah, you did this in the Morning Glory campaign when we all played Aranol elves attacking the Vol compound. Right, so it's canon that the Elves of the Dragons come together and destroy the uh, House of All like 3,000 years ago. But, you know, there's there isn't really any information. And, of course, I wasn't going to, like, cement in stone exactly how it happened. I just sort of said, hey, you're all... I didn't hand out new sheets, right? I just said, you're all your, your same characters, but now you are Aranol Elves. Uh, you're riding on the backs of dragons because that's cool. Um, and now you're infiltrating the compound. Like, go kill Vol. Right. 
Uh, Angelo did this uh, in our 4E game where the party was infiltrating a volcano to go kill a fire giant. And then suddenly, like, the ghosts of these dwarves appeared and started fighting with us, but then they also, like, possessed us. Um, and so, like, as soon as they p- possessed you, you sort of, like, were that dwarf, right? And you got a bit of backstory about who they were and, and like, how they came to be sort of trapped here uh, as ghosts, you know, like, 600 years ago when the clan was destroyed. Uh, and then even when we defeated that combat... Um, it was a nice moment where you sort of had the experiences of someone else that that you could you know use as a lens to view the actions that were going on in the future. And then you know my character Locke was sort of like, I think I like dwarves now. I think I think I'm friendly with dwarves. Uh, I think I'm going to go <laughs> learn dwarven because I don't know that was really meaningful. Also, he already liked to drink a lot, so uh, you can also view somebody else's dream. Right, so you can you can have either like a, a shared dream sort of experience, or you can literally see what are they dreaming. Yeah, you can tap into somebody else's dream purposefully. Um, maybe they don't even know that you're viewing their dream, and that can give you a ton of information that they might otherwise keep hidden, even if it is masked behind metaphor. Right. Uh, X-Men fans, you can use a dream as training, right? If nothing here is real, then neither is death or or injury. It's basically the Matrix. And this allows all of the characters to try out new tactics or new abilities or new equipment. Uh, You know, you can basically say, hey, build something 10 levels higher than what you are now. And, you know, we're going to sort of try that out as like a single combat or something. Or like, here's a bunch of new crazy uh, gear that's all run by Ghost Rocky. You don't actually have to worry about uh, being corrupted or, you know, using these warp weapons and like um, mutating because all this is a dream and none of it actually matters. Right. Dreams are also a place where you can perform the impossible. Um, A scenario that you might not otherwise be able to accomplish can just be attempted in a dream. Uh, Or even like an entire adventure could take place in a dream. Uh, It's basically Alice in Wonderland. Right, because think Alice is a, a like little girl from the English countryside, right? She can't have this adventure. It's it doesn't make any sense. It completely breaks verisimilitude to be like, all right, you're going to meet crazy characters, and here's a man who's speaking to a mouse in a teapot. Right. But if the whole thing is a dream, then literally anything can happen, and and it doesn't matter. And you can get as crazy and weird and fantastical as you want, and she can do a bunch of drugs. This also happens if you physically go to, like, the land of dreams, whatever that might be uh, in your particular setting. You know, it might be a place where dreams actually become reality, or uh, a lot of fictions have uh, a particular location where all the dreams of all people sort of coexist together. I think in, like, traditional English fiction, it would sometimes be called, like, the land of Nod. You could actually, like, sail there. Uh, the Wheel of Time has uh, the Land of Dreams Teleran Riode, which you can physically like teleport to if if you're a magic user. And then once you're there, like nothing's quite real, and you can manipulate it by like you know lucid dreaming. Uh, how many apostrophes are in Teleran Riode? Like seven. <laughs> I, <laughs> so I I actually hate Teleran Riode. <laughs> <laughs> um, in more normal things, uh, Eberron has Dalcor, which is the uh, plane of dreams. Right, which, um, you know, your spirit travels there when you dream, and that's why, you know, things are all kind of weird in a dream, right? It's a bit like um, Limbo in traditional, like, Forgotten Realms. Or you can actually physically, like, plane shift there, and now you're just surrounded by tons of dream stuff and nothing is real. Okay, so let's talk about what are dreams like? Yeah, things should feel different when a character is dreaming but still kind of in control. But always remember that things are not going to be what they seem like at first. You want to use a lot of imagery or metaphor or even just like naked symbolism. You know, it it doesn't necessarily need to be like deep and and have hidden meaning. It can be super, super obvious. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's sometimes really easy in uh, medieval settings to just use like heraldry or crests. Um, if you're, you know, Richard the Lionheart may just show up as a lion. Right. Uh, a character who has a nickname, um, you know, Harry, Teddy, uh, Summer, something like that can all show up as like a physical embodiment of 
that thing so that it's obvious who's being spoken about or who's being dreamed about um, or like who is in danger or something like that. But it isn't quite uh, so obvious as just like seeing the person. Yeah, you can also use like literal meanings of words or wordplay um, have those like kind of embodied, right? So like if you have idioms that are um, in use here, you might just see like the two parts of the idiom without the sort of implied context. Right. Um, you know, pull out all all of your phrases, you know, as the crow flies, things like that. Um, why are crows circling us? Is that some sort of omen about, you know, death or, or is this just a, a literal like translation of the specific words we're supposed to be getting from this? Right. And it may not be clear at first at all what you're supposed to be getting from this or like what the actual message is. Uh, or it may not become clear until much, much later, or even until after you wake up and go find somebody who can interpret this dream. It it also might just be obvious, right? Like it might just be the message is simple and the dream is the conveyance and you're meant to understand the message. Right. Oh, this small stream, this brook, who could it possibly be about? Our friend Brook? <laughs> yeah. No, it's our friend Stream. <laughs> oh, of course. Um, dreams are also kind of notorious for impossible geometry or like unlikely weather or terrain. You might have like physics that don't quite behave, um, especially like the more like manic and threatening a dream gets. Um, think like Inception is like fully on board here, right? Where like y- you walk, you know, 10 feet along the floor and then find out you're walking 10 feet on the wall, that kind of thing. Yeah, and this doesn't necessarily have to have a um, mechanical component in any way, nor does it necessarily need to be dangerous, right? It can just be a weird thing that, one, makes it obvious that you're in a dream, but but two, just sort of serves as a, a tonal shift, right? Like, it can be stormy weather, like a giant thunderstorm, and there's, like, lightning cracking all around, and, like, it's a heavy downpour, and then you're just not really kind of getting wet. Or, you know, when when you walk, you're not sinking into the mud. And is that weird? Sure, that's weird, but it's definitely flavorful. Yeah, I think you can also, like, set this a little bit easier or, like, make these, like, this weirdness a little easier to identify if you set the dream in familiar places or uh, with a familiar scene or familiar people, right? Like, the players will pick up on what's weird much quicker um, if they know what the baseline is, right? Like if, if you instead dream of some faraway land and fantastical place, like you don't know, is this real? <laughs> like, is this just how this place behaves? Or, you know, is this something strange and, and dreamlike? Right. Are flying whales a normal thing here? <laughs> right. They are in um in the plane of fear, but they're not in, you know, the coastal town of uh, salt marsh. Right, in my tiny hamlet. <laughs> I, I don't remember this at all. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, setting these familiar scenes also gives your your party a, a touchstone to connect with what they're seeing, even if they know that it, it isn't necessarily real, right? So if you're speaking to someone in a dream, they may take on the form of someone familiar or someone dead, a parent, someone that that person trusts. And that might be because they're, they're trying to trick you and they want to look like someone that you trust right but it could also just be like this is what your subconscious molds this this entity into and that is because you feel like you can trust them right they take on the image of something uh, familiar because they represent something safe on the flip side it can also be like what what is the twisted mockery or the twisted version of reality that you're seeing like this is the town where i grew up in uh but everybody's dead right uh or like there's a torrential downpour and and lightning keeps striking everywhere okay i know that something's definitely wrong because i know that it shouldn't be like this here right like it's raining that happens all the time at home except the water keeps getting deeper on the ground yeah this is the the horror aspect right a lot of dreams can can basically descend directly into um like a, a horror genre and that is specifically because you are twisting things that are familiar and that previously were safe right So you want to leave the party asking, what does the dream mean? And why am I here in this dream? Yeah, again, you can be a little heavy handed here. And and party members, you should be asking these things too. You know, what, as I look around in this dream, I know that I am dreaming, obviously, because there aren't flying whales at home. Um, But why am I seeing flying whales 
and like, why why are we being like directed in this um, particular area and why did we show up here in the first place right yeah so you can throw in things like recurring words or symbols um, it can be a symbol that nobody understands but if you see, once you see something twice in a dream you start going wait a minute why is this here especially when the GM tells you you see it twice right <laughs> this is definitely the fourth time you've noticed this no role necessary um, but it also puts it in juxtaposition to what is in flux, right? Because many, many things might be in flux about this dream because it's not necessarily nailed down. Um, but if one thing is always the same or one object is always in the same place, especially if you're having recurring dreams, then it becomes very apparent that that is important. Because characters are going to be looking for what is out of the ordinary, Um and yes, you'll you'll set some backdrop here just to make it obvious that things are weird. Like the sky is an easy one to to make different, right? You definitely don't recognize the stars or the color is impossible on, you know, on your home planet. Or, you know, the time of day doesn't change no matter how long you're here. Yeah. The location, of course, might be someplace that you uh, weren't in previously, right? Like if you went to sleep in, uh, in Breland and you wake up in Ondaire, well... Perhaps you're in a dream. You can do that for very little money on the lightning rail. Right. <laughs> uh, also, like, colors can be out of out of the ordinary in a dream. So they might be more muted or more vivid, or they might be, like, you know, you're psychedelic or, or otherwise, like, completely, um, like, foreign kind of unnatural coloring. Mm-hmm. But probably the, the big question that players should be asking right off the bat is, can I trust this dream? Can I trust what I am seeing? And part of that is determined by, you know, who who is the dream from? Was it sent by someone else or am I having this on my own? Is this something created by my subconscious? Am I being influenced somehow or, you know, is is this just bubbling up from within me? And in that case, I probably can trust it. And yeah, what is the like reputation that dreams have in your world, right? Mm-hmm. Like, is it common that people have visions through their dreams you know, heroes have visions through their dreams. Like, do you have that type of myth in your world? Or is it something that's very strange and foreign? And if it happened to you, you would be frightened. Are you fighting uh, an enemy named Morpheus? <laughs> right. <laughs> is it the Sandman? Probably don't trust your dreams. Right. All right. So when you are actually running uh, these in, in-game, in it is usually much easier to run a dream uh, in narrative rather than necessarily trying to stick to the, the usual um, like rolling dice to see how exactly everything turns out, right? Because in a dream, a character sees what they need to see and then goes where they need to go. Yeah, I, I like that. Like, sort of everything in a dream can just be a metaphor. Um, like, if you need to cross quicksand you cross it but it's slow or it feels slow you know if you need to climb a tower you will but you might feel tired at the top right or it might be an impossibly tall tower and there's no way to climb it and that's that's the symbolism right um yeah and i think you want to telegraph here that things are probably possible here that might otherwise not be and we're just talking this out right we're having a conversation because if you if you think about it like dreams are often a bit like a conversation with your subconscious mm-hmm. like oh i can't do this or i'm trying to do a normal thing and i can't do it for some reason uh and then you just sort of like try it again or, or refocus a little bit and then you can do it um or you can do like very impossible things like ah, i'm trying to get away all right i guess i'll just sort of like float away Yeah, I mean, you can negotiate these things, right? Like, characters can do things differently than they normally would, right? Like, escape might only mean running in the real world, but like you said, you might just float away. You might just drift on the wind um, out of harm's way in a dream. Yeah, and I think in in this instance, um, you kind of want to play this sort of the opposite of a survival game. You know, that's where you're, like, you're counting every arrow and you're making sure, like, if you couldn't carry like that equipment then you definitely don't have it like that's the fun of that kind of game right yeah but in a dream scenario do you need a thing you probably have a thing and where were you holding it well it's probably in your hand right now when you look down right because almost everything including the character including the way they look what they're wearing where they are where they're standing what direction they're facing what's around them all of that stuff is probably mutable um 
and it can change based on the character's desires. You know, oh, I like I can't open this door. God, if I had a lockpick. Oh wait, of course, of course, I have a lockpick. It's right here in my hand. I've been holding it the whole time. Um, or it can change based on their realizations, right? Um, it could be an expression of of their subconscious, or, or it could be because someone else is controlling the green, the dream, right? So I can't open this door. Uh, oh, I'm really angry about that. And now suddenly a storm starts brewing outside. Yeah, or like you uh, you answer a riddle or you, you solve a puzzle and like the quicksand that you weren't able to cross has now dried up and you can simply walk on terra firma. Yeah, and that's a good way to signify that the realization that a, a player probably has voiced at the table, right? Like, oh, I'm speculating, like, is it possible that we're wrong about the person who we're actually fighting against? And it turns out this is it's this other person. Well, if the quicksand dries up, then it's pretty obvious that the GM is like, ding, 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 you got that right. Right, because if everything is mutable, like, if, if there's nothing, like, concrete, it can be also really hard to read anything specifically or like manipulate delicate machinery like you might you might be able to see a book on the shelf but not actually open it and read it that kind of thing yeah i think this is actually a good rule of thumb for running this narrative style uh like you know if you find yourself in in a combat you you may want to say oh i i try to create a gun but that's probably too complicated an object to create uh, but you might be able to create like a sword or like a big heavy like candlestick that you can bash somebody with. Right. So if you want to include mechanics, um, if players want to roll, like you can let them use their normal skills or abilities, but they might have different effects, right? They might be increased or reduced. Yeah. So, you know, go ahead and make that athletics check. Uh, oh, 15. That's, that's pretty good. You actually jump 20 feet in the air. Um and you know that seems kind of normal it is not terrifying to you it just seems like a you know thing you can normally do yeah but on the flip side of that it might be oh 15 damage to that tree with your axe uh it barely seems to make a dent uh, you're not really sure why right and you might even need a skill check in order to do like a normally easy thing uh but in the dream so something like you know, casting from a scroll, like you, you said earlier, you might not be able to read the words on the scroll. So you need to make some sort of like arcana check or, you know, linguistics check or something in order to like stabilize the words on the page so that you can read it well enough. Yeah. Or it could even be something super simple, like opening a door, right? Like, okay, maybe you just can't get a grip on the knob or, or it's locked or it might even be that like the door doesn't have any hinges and you have no idea how to open this thing. Instead of using, like, physical skills for physical actions, you might use, like, mental traits, right? So, like, you might make a uh, a sleight of hand check or a, you know, thieves tools check to unlock a door, but you'll do it with intelligence or wisdom because it's about how much you can control the environment in order to do the thing you know how to do. Right. Or it might even be, like, an insight check uh, to figure out what is it that you're missing or to notice something that you're not seeing previously like oh wait hold on i close my eyes for a second i sort of like center myself i look again oh there are the hinges right so you might also want to introduce like a specific mechanic to manipulate the environment in a dream or like keep the dream steady like maintain your control and agency in the dream yeah and this is probably just a a relatively simple check that determines in this particular moment how stable the dream is or how well the character can can navigate it um And this is probably most useful if a lot of your campaign is going to take place either in dreams or like in the plane of dreams where, you know, nothing is necessarily as it seems. Um, I think it's also important, like dreams have an emotional component because they're, like you said, related to the subconscious, right? So it's good to have a check-in with the players about what their characters know and how they feel about it in the dream. Um, and then like based on those feelings, right, you manifest new things in the environment, in the dream itself that reflect those feelings. Yeah. And I think this is probably one of the very few times in a game where it's okay to an extent for the GM to tell players how their character is feeling about something because everything isn't necessarily as it seems. And the emotional reaction to a stimuli can be incongruous. Yeah. So normally if you witness somebody killing a baby, 
that's a negative, <laughs> right? But if the sun suddenly comes out and it becomes a beautiful spring day when it was otherwise like cloudy and dreary, like that indicates that you're happy about that. Right. And you might, you might, the GM might even say, and weirdly, you're not disgusted, you're happy about it. Now, that's information for the player. It might be that like, like everything's a metaphor, right? This isn't actually a baby. It's a, a new thing or a new creation or something like that that is being ended. Or it's literally baby Hitler. Yes. I mean, I think we're all, we're all happy with that. Right. <laughs> um, this incongruity is information for the, the players to help identify what it is that they're actually like having described to them. So... You know, if your character sees a Medusa and can actually like see her entire face, well, one, you haven't turned to stone. Okay. So probably isn't actually like physically a Medusa. But if you're then told you feel content or happy or safe near her and you look at her and she has these, these kind eyes, then, you know, what is it that the Medusa means or who is the Medusa actually? And, and like, what is their real form underneath this shroud of monster? Mm-hmm. All right, so what are some caveats, things to watch out for if you're introducing dreams? Uh, don't split the party. So try not to have like lengthy solo adventures. You know, oh, one person has like a prophetic dream or, you know, a, one person is contacted in a dream uh, and that's like 20 minutes of our session, like this person trying to, to navigate it. Right. Um, and you can do this by having either having a group dream, like all of you dream tonight because like the person sending this dream is just contacting all of you and you have sort of a communal dream uh, or you can do like a an inception-y type thing where one or two people are dreaming and then others are manipulating the dream while they're awake or like um, telepathically being involved in the dream but you know however you want to do it, whatever MacGuffin way of contacting these people you want to use yeah I mean or like even if it's just like you're in my dream because we're an adventuring party and I dreamed mm. you were there. Like you still, you know, act the way that you act, even if you're a projection of my subconscious. Yeah. You can still be you. And then, you know, the person wakes up and, Oh, I tell you all the things that we did. And you're like, Oh, that sounds like me. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> exactly what I would have done. I stabbed you. Right. And then you always want to have some sort of concrete consequence. I mean, ideally like it, it's meaningful because you're getting a lot of information or like you're having um, an emotional connection with something that's happening in the dream. But you can, again, just get heavy handed with this, like have something definitely concrete, especially if the party isn't used to having a dream matter. Like, mm -hmm. you know, that what like cartoon trope where someone wakes up from a dream and they're like, oh, it was all just a dream. And then they look down and they've got like a feather in their hand or some sort of token from the dream that couldn't exist or like doesn't exist anywhere around them in the real world and they're like wait was it all a dream right that works great honestly it's just like hey yeah something else is going on here it's also important to note it's easy to retcon dreams right because they're not quite real um and they don't quite feel real but it's also too easy to retcon a dream like you, you don't want to just completely invalidate that you know, 30 minute or hour long sequence that they went through just because it doesn't fit the story later on. Yeah. And I think that's the danger of sort of setting up a dream scenario where it's like, well, everything's a metaphor and I'll figure out what these metaphors stand for later. Mm -hmm. Cause you're just going to keep changing things. Like have an idea of what these things mean in the first place and, and that actually makes them more interesting it makes them a, a bit of a mini puzzle for people to like actually figure it out what it figure out what it really means yeah so i think a lot of people tend to avoid dreams in general in their games simply because they get a bad rap or like i actually personally hate dream sequences in fiction i almost skim them because i'm like well this doesn't matter this doesn't matter it's not real i don't actually care about your your vivid description of what things look like or feel like because this person's going to wake up and none of it will actually matter. Yeah. God, I hate, I hate imagining a dream is the most like boring thing. Like imagining yeah. <laughs> someone else's dream is so boring. Yeah. And like in TV shows, the way they, they always do it, which is awful is just, ah, it's a, 
a desolate landscape, and I am walking slowly in like a robe, I guess. Yeah. And like, there's wind and it's slow motion, and and I take a step and another step, and there's a figure in the distance, and they're shrouded in mist, and I can't quite tell who it is. End scene. All right, next episode, we're going to get two more minutes of that. Right. <laughs> so I think, yeah, like, you want to just, like, keep it relevant, right? I think that's the important takeaway is, like, make that dream feel important. Right. Keep it moving um, and and play it out, right? Like, the dream isn't an aside to the campaign or to the adventure of the session. It is part of the session and the adventure, you know, you, you, this is a scene that you are playing. So do it, you know, in the dream, it feels real. So act like it's real. Right. But it's a scene with a purpose, right? Like you don't mm-hmm. just introduce a dream sequence because you need to kill time this week. Like you need to have a purpose, a, a, a thing that you are trying to convey to the players, some some change that needs to come as a result of having the dream um, that guides the players in some way. If you don't know what that is up front, you probably shouldn't do a dream. Right. At the end, you want the party to say, Man, it's a good thing we had that dream. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? Uh, that is the rooster crowing, which means I think finally we can retcon this entire episode. Well, then that means it's time to move on to the character creation forge and find out who we wake up as. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. Hey, my name is James Intracasso, and I'm the host of Tabletop Babble, which is a role-playing game discussion podcast where I bring on awesome industry guests like Matthew Mercer, Ruth Tillman, Wolfgang Bauer, Cat Cool, and so many others. We talk RPG news, give advice, laugh, argue. It is a fun time, just like you'd have at a convention or local friendly game store. Check out Tabletop Babble at don'tsplitthepodcastnetwork.com. All right, so this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Night Watch. Ishan, what is the Night Watch? The Night Watch is the person you want to have at your back while you take a nap for eight hours. Okay. Uh, The Night Watch doesn't need to sleep and so instead is vigilant at all hours. All right, so what do we got? The build is Gloomstalker Ranger 3, Great Old One Tome Warlock 3, Inquisitive Rogue 14. Uh, and are we dependent on a certain race? We are not. Although, if you want, you can be a warforged or an elf, and then, you know, you're just sort of trancing or standing with your eyes open the whole time, and, you know, that actually takes care of some of this if you didn't want warlock, but I prefer uh, being able to be any race you like. Okay. So, from Ranger, we will get Favored Enemy and uh, Favored Terrain. Uh, we'll get Natural Explorer and a Fighting Style. We'll get Dread Ambusher, which does uh, extra damage during ambushes, and you'll get Wisdom to Initiative, so you're more likely to get those ambushes. You'll get Dark Vision, and it gets better if you already have Dark Vision. And of course, we're here because you become invisible to creatures with Dark Vision, which makes you uh, an excellent uh, watch because you can just stand there invisibly. Mm Mm-hmm. From Warlock, we'll get second level spells. Uh, Great Old One gives us telepathy, which means that you'll be able to communicate with other party members in complete silence uh, or even communicate with party members who are asleep and just sort of like shout in their brain to wake them up without letting anyone know that you've caught on to them. And we've got two invocations. We're here for Devil's Sight, which lets you see, even in magical darkness, an aspect of the moon, which requires a Pact of the Tome, so you get that at level three, which means that you no longer need to sleep, and you cannot be put to sleep for any reason. So the Inquisitive Rogue will give us 7d6 sneak attack dice. Uh, We'll get Uncanny Dodge and Evasion to... uh keep us a little tanky and then we also get thieves can't to communicate also without speaking late at night uh it's, it's also handy if like you know the first notification you get that someone is uh attacking is that they fireball the whole camp uh-huh <laughs> uh you'll also get four expertises which will take uh perception stealth and uh whatever else you'd like uh as well as reliable talent to ensure that we're always rolling at least a 10 
and you'll be able to make perception or investigation checks as a bonus action. And if you're moving slowly, you'll get advantage on them. Uh, well, since you're keeping watch and not moving at all, you'll always have advantage on those perception checks. I mean, even if you're on patrol, you'll be in good shape. Yeah, just keep moving slowly. Uh, you'll be able to sense illusions and shape changers uh, a few times a day. Uh, that's particularly helpful when the uh, scout returns to camp. Uh, and you're thinking, you seem a little off. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, there's something about you that seems strange. Right. And then just as the last line of defense, you'll also end up with blind sense. So ultimately, invisible creatures will mean nothing to you, uh, even though you can see so many different things so many different ways. Uh, at a certain point, they won't even be able to get near you. Yeah, and uh, you know, if you're dealing with a smart enemy, they don't fireball the whole camp. They fog cloud it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't matter, you're fine. And we will also take the alert feat, uh, which will give us a bonus to initiative, as well as prevent us from ever being surprised. And if you can fit it in, you could also take observant, which will boost your passive perception. So for leveling order, start Rogue 1 for the juicy skills, and then Warlock to 3 so you don't need to sleep, Rogue to 8 to pick up uh, evasion, uncanny dodge, and um, ASIs. Then I take 3 Ranger and then finish out Rogue. So Shane, who is your Night Watch? Uh, My Night Watch is an insomniac. Ha, okay. Uh, If you can't sleep anyway, you might as well be useful. Uh, And so my my Night Watch has decided that he will... um, become one with the night uh where he finds no peace anyway uh he will make sure that those that he adventures with his companions are safe how about your night watch my night watch just feels like there aren't enough hours in the day you know and she just wishes ah if i could somehow get more time and then she begins examining her calendar and realizes for eight hours every night i'm useless Mm mm-hmm What's well, even the six point? Hours. <laughs> <laughs> and then two hours just hanging out. Right. I, if if I could somehow utilize those, if I could just stay awake, if I didn't need to sleep at all. Ah, look at the elves and there. Well, actually, they don't really do much. Look at the Warforged and how much they've accomplished in basically no time. Exactly. If I could do that. And, you know, how do you uh, make a living as someone who really just wants to keep studying and uh, investigating like esoteric arcana all through the night? Well, uh, you hit yourself to an adventuring party and say, don't worry, you guys sleep. Yeah, take off your armor. It's fine. We'll, we'll be all right. I'll let you know if, uh, if there's any trouble. I'll take first watch and second watch, right. and <laughs> third watch and fourth watch. Uh, also, man, how great is it to not have that conversation every time you long rest? Right. <laughs> Who's taking what watch? Doesn't matter. I got it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go to bed. All right. Before we wrap up, we want to take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about fantasy warfare. And in the character creation forge? We're building the field general. Well, that's it for episode 232 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Total Party Thrill is also brought to you by D&D Beyond. D&D Beyond is the official digital toolset and game companion for Dungeons & Dragons. You can use it to build characters, track campaigns, run adventures, and do so much more. Like build characters for other people. Mm-hmm. And then send them to them and say, hey, here's your character I built for you. Uh, that's what we're doing right now, actually. We, uh, <laughs> we're, we're creating new characters for our Dark Sun game uh, to play kind of a, a secondary story. So... Um, a couple of people didn't really have time to build their characters, so we just went and built them, and then they claim those characters and are able to play. I will say, so we're level like 12 and 13 right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, with traditional pen and paper character sheets and character building... It takes nine years. Yeah, I, I don't think as a GM I, I would be like, hey, your homework is to build a level 12 D&D character. Yeah. Um, but with... With D&D Beyond, like, I don't know, I'm, I do it on the train, you, you know, do it in your lunch break, just on your phone, and then you just, like, put it away, and it's still there exactly where you left it, like, in the process of building it. Exactly. So, D&D Beyond also has lots of awesome content available for free, like the D&D Basic Rules and articles from writers like James J. Heck and videos from Todd Kenrick. The team is also always updating the site with new features, so improvements are always coming. So if that sounds great to you, check out dndbeyond.com